Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Lake Mount Young Adults Podcast. We are the Young Adults Ministry of Lake Mount Worship Center, and we are on a mission to connect young adults to the life-changing presence of Jesus Christ. We meet every Monday night at 7 p.m., and we'd love to have you join us. You can find more information on our socials, but in the meantime, we hope you enjoy the message for this week. Digging into, uh, again, our series on calling. We've been looking at uh, just different uh, people whom God called and what we can learn from their journey, learn from how God called them, what their calling experience was like, the way that God equipped them. It's been said that uh, life is too short to make all the mistakes yourself. And so what that means is that sometimes we can learn from not only the successes of others, but we can also learn from other people's mistakes, right? Uh, that's the beauty of being a youngest child, right? <laughs> um, but uh, anyways, spoken as the youngest. Um, I want to take a look tonight at some people who uh, actually didn't make the cut. Some, some people that... Um, actually either wanted Jesus to use them or Jesus wanted to use them and it didn't work out. And um, again, I've said this a few times over the course of uh, this series together, this quote from A.W. Tozer, that what comes into our mind when we think of God is the most important thing about us. And the reason that's the most important thing about us is because if you're right, you're going to grow in the right direction. If you're wrong, you're going to grow in the wrong direction or you won't grow at all. And so it's really important that you have a right conception of God. The way to have a right conception of God isn't to go by how you feel. Because God being holy and we being not holy means that sometimes what God does and what we prefer don't actually go the same direction. And what I'm trying to get at is that sometimes God will offend you. And if your ranking God, or if your idea of God is that he would never offend you, that he would actually just, you know, always kind of coddle you and tell you that you're doing great, um, that, you know, God's just handing out participation ribbons and cheering for you no matter what. That's a conception of God that actually isn't found in scripture. And so I I want us to take a look at uh, Luke chapter 9, and you can take your Bibles and go there. If you're going to use your phone as a Bible, make me promise that tonight, over these next few moments, that you're going to use your phone exclusively as a Bible, okay? With the exception of if you wanted to write a few notes down, you could do that. But the other stuff that you can do on your phone uh, is just an escape that while you're in this room, you could actually be somewhere else in your head. And what what we're here for... I mean, we're here for God, and we're here to worship Him. We're here to hear from Him and hear, to, to hear His Word. And so I want us to take a look at, um, at the call of Jesus uh, on a few disciples, again, who, who didn't make the cut, the, the rejects. And, um, you know, maybe we can learn from that. Um, because I would say that what's important for us to grasp as we come into the text tonight is that Jesus is not just looking for your willingness. He's looking for your submission. He's not just looking for, you know, anybody who's just like, well, 
I'll be a Christian. Like God's looking for us to actually submit to him. Um, here's a hot take, but that's actually what lordship means. Like that Jesus is Lord of your life means now every decision that you make isn't just run through your own grid. It's run through him. It, it's run through the word of God that you actually submit to his lordship, to his supremacy uh, in your life. And this is um, difficult. And this is the call of discipleship. Jesus set the bar pretty high, like the door of entry into the kingdom. Jesus is like, if anyone, everybody say anyone. Raise your hand if you're anyone. All right, good. Okay, so Jesus said for us, if anyone is going to come after me, he needs to deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Taking up your cross is like, like die every day. So like that's not eventually, you know, Jesus just kind of, you know, warms us up with a latte and some scones and, you know, and some uh, motivational talks, right? This is the door of entry. If anyone is going to follow me, no scones, no lattes, die, <laughs> right? Like, it's not for the faint of heart. And, and the alternative, the other versions of Christianity that we hear about uh, you know, if you can't identify it with the Bible, whatever it is that we think we're doing, if it's unbiblical, it's wrong. And so we need to, again, have a right conception of God, a right conception of Jesus. Jesus said, if you want to know what God looks like, look at me. Look at Jesus. So <clears throat> here's Jesus uh, in Luke chapter 9. If you're there, say, I'm there. <clears throat> All right, anybody got your Bibles out? Luke 9, verse 57, <clears throat> or this. 57? I don't know what I was going to go with there. Verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Okay, so this first guy, we're going to look at, there's three people in, in our text here tonight kind of two verses at a time. This guy is the volunteer. He just walks up to Jesus. The Bible says Jesus is walking along the road. If you're in, the, in chapter 9, you realize that Jesus has just had a conversation with some of his disciples. He was trying to go into a Samaritan village, and the people weren't open to Jesus' message or his preaching. They didn't want him to come there. And so a couple of Jesus' disciples were like, Lord, we could call down fire on them and kill that village if you would like. And Jesus was like, um, no. <laughs> okay, so um, that's just for free. You don't have to kill people who don't agree with you, okay? Um, <clears throat> so now they're walking along the road, and some guy just pulls up, and he, and he just says, uh, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. That's a, that's a great thing to say to Jesus. Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. That sounds like a hardcore disciple. That sounds like someone who's like all in. Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus doesn't go, wow, thanks. Did everybody hear this? Disciple numero uno over here, just killing it. He actually kind of pushes back on it. Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, boxes have holes. Kind of personal, kind of weird. Meaning dens. Uh, but he said, like, foxes have a place to live, right? 
birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man, speaking of himself, speaking of himself, has no place to lay his head. So this guy comes up, Lord, I'll follow you everywhere you go. And Jesus is like, really? Well, I've got no place to stay. I have no place to sleep tonight. Um, so just in case you thought being a disciple of me was going to be bougie, it's not. Like just in case you're thinking that these crowds, that I'm intoxicated by these crowds, just in case you're thinking that I came here to be famous, you know, I find it funny when Christians are like, we exist to make Jesus famous. Jesus wasn't trying to be famous when he was here. At the height of Jesus' popularity, right? We're coming up to it this weekend, Palm Sunday. Jesus is rolling into town on a donkey, and it's this whole fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. People are cutting branches and throwing their coats in front of him, shouting Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it's like the whole city's in an uproar. Everyone's just so excited that Jesus is here. And Jesus doesn't get off and say, thank you, thank you very much. Thank you for coming out. Thank you. If you vote for me to be your Messiah, I'll put chocolate milk in the cafeteria. He doesn't, he doesn't court the crowd at all. He gets off his donkey and he goes into the temple and he makes a whip and he starts snapping it at people and flipping tables and screaming. Can you imagine if you're Jesus' campaign manager? It's like, Jesus, that is not how to win friends and influence people. The height of his popularity. And Jesus like snaps, apparently. Because he had a passion for the house of God to be a place that was inclusive for all nations. Not just so everyone could sit there, but so they could seek God. My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. So here's Jesus pushing back on an all-star disciple. You probably heard me say this before, but I love this quote from Leonard Ravenhill. He said that Christians don't tell lies, they sing them. And it's not meant to be a knock on worship. Let worship be aspirational. Let it be things that you press forward and, and that there's desire and longing in your heart to be more faithful and to be closer to the Lord. But hear me, if all of your worship is only that, and you miss Romans 12.1 where your life is a living sacrifice and worship to you is just singing songs to Jesus, you might be the volunteer going, Lord, I'll follow you anywhere you go. Everywhere you go, I'll follow you. I will follow him, follow him. Right? Like, you might sing the song, but when it comes time to be like, so anyways, there's nowhere to stay tonight, and the crowds are kind of upset, and I'm not very popular, be like, I'm going to just sing about it, but... Maybe just go back to my mom's house and have a sandwich. Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. See, Jesus, I'm, I'm going to say it again. He's not just looking for your willingness. He's looking for your submission and your faithfulness. What comes into your mind when you think about Jesus is the most important thing about you. If you think Jesus is just going, wow. I can't believe you sang that chorus with both verses. You must be serious. Worship and sing, but back it up with a lifestyle of followership. Jesus pushes on him. Jesus actually pushes on a volunteer. The guy's saying, I'll follow you anywhere. And Jesus is like, really? What if 
Here's basically what Jesus is saying. What if it's difficult and not popular? And I think that question needs to get peppered into the room tonight. I think I need to get confronted with that question. What if it's difficult, uncomfortable, and unpopular to follow Jesus? I'll follow you wherever you go. What if I get off my donkey and I start flipping tables? What if I go to the cross as we approach Easter in these next couple of weeks? Even, even Jesus' disciples couldn't conceive of the cross you know, being real. Like, it's got to be a metaphor of some kind. It's got to be a word picture. He can't seriously be going to die. And they all ran for their lives. They all covered themselves. They all were just, you know, so fearful that they actually pulled back from following Jesus, although they said, I'll follow you. This guy comes up and says, I'll follow you. And Jesus basically tries to talk him out of it. Were you like sucking the air out of that water bottle? That was amazing. It's okay, nobody noticed. <laughs> can't even do it. All right. So here's, here's the deal. If you can be talked out of your faith, right? If you can be talked into your faith, you can be talked out of your faith. And that's basically what Jesus is pushing on. Lord, I'll follow you anywhere. You go everywhere you go, I'll follow you. And Jesus is like, what if it's hard? And this guy doesn't make the cut. Like, it's not as though the conversation continues. And he's like, doesn't matter, Lord, I'm coming. Uh, I don't know how this conversation ends. It just kind of ends. So I just imagine, like, they're walking down the road, and this guy's like, Lord, I'll follow you anywhere. And you can almost picture the guy being proud of himself. Lord, I will follow you everywhere you go. Just waiting for a gold star, right? He's like, you're my favorite pupil. You can sit at the front and bring me an apple. And Jesus is just like, um, yeah, what if it's hard? I've got no place to stay tonight. And the conversation, it's almost like the guy's just like, oh. <laughs> just like kind of slides back into the crowd like, that was weird. We, we need to be confronted with the reality that there are seasons in God and there are times and seasons in your life where following him will just, it will feel just kind of easy, like breathing. And there'll be other times where it'll be challenging and it will be, it will be difficult. What if it's, it's not prestigious? What if it costs you some social credit? What if what it means to actually be a disciple of Jesus doesn't actually um, resonate with the common theme of how most people think and talk? And we kind of have to shift gears here from what if to actually taking a look at where that's already true and count the cost of that. Because being a Christian isn't just doing, it's like, it's not doing God a favor. It's not like God's up in heaven going, oh my goodness, the, the Christianity count is going down around the world. I wish somebody would come up and volunteer. Like God's not interested in being popular. He's interested in, in saving and changing and transforming your life because transformed lives transform lives. And so this volunteer shows up. Let's go to the next verse. Jesus 
Verse 59 said to another man, follow me. But the man said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Okay. That's weird. So this guy I would call the recruit. Okay, so first we have the volunteer. Now we have the recruit. And the recruit, Jesus says to him, follow me. This dude actually puts up his hand and says, Lord, I'll follow you anywhere. And Jesus talks him out of it. Now Jesus just points at a guy and goes, follow me. And we've been looking at the other uh, disciples who have been called where Jesus called them. And they actually dropped everything and followed him. Jesus is giving this guy the opportunity to be like the 13th disciple. Follow me. And the guy goes, please let me just go first and bury my father. Now, I'll be honest. That sounds like a reasonable request to me. Right? Guy's dad just died. And Jesus is like, let dead people bury themselves. Weird. Um, so I think we have to recognize, I don't think that the guy's dad just died. I think what the guy is saying is, Lord, um, my dad maybe isn't going to necessarily be cool with me following you like James and John and these guys who've abandoned the father's business. I don't know if that's going to go down as cool with my dad. So I will follow you at a more convenient time later. Like after my dad dies. I'll follow you at a more convenient time later when it is more suited to my schedule. This guy basically didn't have the sense of urgency that is required to follow after Jesus. Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead. Speaking spiritually. Just saying, spiritually dead people, just let that happen. But if you're born again, preach the kingdom. Go and preach the good news. If you, if you are being called to follow me, it's not something that you can put off till later. We touched on this last week or the week before the idea. Yeah, it was last week. We were talking about, about Jeremiah saying, I'm too young. And, and the illusion in our culture that somehow you have the right between, you know, 13 and I don't know what the age is now, 13 and 35. You have this right to just basically be an idiot. You just have the right to just like, I'm just going to sow my wild oats. I'm just going to, and again, I don't know what that figure of speech means, but, right? I'm just going to, I'm just going to find myself and I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to go crazy for a bit. I'm just going to party. I'm just going to, and it's like, we have this idea, like I have the right to waste some time because I'll get serious later. And what I've discovered, speaking from some life experience that's, you know, further than most people in this room. When I defer seriousness, it never comes. A faithfulness deferred is unfaithfulness. That when I'm like, I'm going to get hardcore about this later, guess what? You're building patterns and habits in your life right now. And if you've just kind of put a pin in your sincerity and your discipleship, and you're like, I know what's right and I know what's wrong, but just while I'm in college, I'm just going to kind of cut loose a little bit. Guess what? You won't be able to fully find where the boundaries were because they're not staying where you left them because you're changing. And this dude's saying, I'll get around to it, but when it's a little more convenient, that's when I'm going to actually get more serious. That's when I'm going to, you know, get around to it. This is like, this is like, you know, when you 
invite people over to your house and everyone just kind of leaves the text thread until like two hours before? They're just like waiting to see if something else warms up. Hey guys, how about we all come over and hang out at my house? Nobody responds. Two hours before, I'll bring chips. Everybody brings chips. Be creative. Anyways, but they're like, people don't want to commit just in case something better comes along. That's what this recruit is saying to Jesus. I'm weighing my options. There are some other things that might might have my attention. There, there, there's maybe a better moment for me to get hardcore. And the urgency that is required to follow after Jesus was missing. See, because again, we're not doing Jesus any favors. He actually has laid down his life for us. And when we yield our lives to him, we actually come in to experience what full and real life is. And the urgency of that assignment is actually meant to grip us. When we truly understand, when we truly understand the good news, okay? When we truly understand the good news, it's this. Not, I was a bad person and Jesus made me better. But I was dead and Jesus made me alive. That's the good news. And so if we don't understand that and we kind of think, you know, I'm a pretty decent person myself. And basically, you know, Jesus gave me a bit of a turbo boost in the right direction, but I was kind of heading there anyways. We may fail to understand. I, I'm telling you, you fail to understand the immensity of what God did when Jesus came and took on flesh and he paid for your sin and paid for your mistakes, paid for your distance from God and through faith in him brought you alive spiritually so that you could actually know God by his word and by experience that you could walk with him in this life. This verse is them walking down the road. The huge reality of God taking on flesh so that you could actually know God personally that's not something that's just kind of like, yeah, so I'm going to kind of put that in my back pocket and I'll get around to being more serious about that later. That's front burner, top priority. That's right now. And so Jesus throws a recruit an opportunity and the guy's like, I'm, I'm, I'm not ready just yet. I've got to wait until my family situation turns. Next guy, verse 61. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but... Now, you know there's a problem right there. I will follow you, Lord, but, hold, hold on. I will follow you, but, how does that work? But there's some other, I will follow you, but, I'm, but I have to follow me for a little while. Some other things I got to do. I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So we have the volunteer, we have the recruit. This guy is the overthinker. Any overthinkers in the room? Anybody who like, like, uh, did I turn off the coffee maker when I left this morning? Did I lock the door? Anybody turn around a couple times, just make sure you lock the door, okay? The overthinker. I will follow you, Lord, but first... I've just got to get everything arranged just so. I have to go and say goodbye to my family. Again, sounds reasonable. The deeper reality here is this is someone who is focused 
on what he's giving up instead of what he's gaining. That, that, that's what he's saying. I want to go back and kiss my family. Sounds reasonable. What's he really saying? I see your disciples. They follow you around. This guy hasn't seen his mom in like three months. I don't know if I could be away from my mom that long. I don't, I don't know if I'm willing to just give everything up without just one last hurrah. Overthinking it. Focusing on what is being given up. I'm going to have to give up this, this, this to follow Jesus. I'm going to have to give up my comfort. I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to give up doing what I want. I'm going to have to take on some standard and boundaries that are like rooted in God's word and not my preferences. I'm going to have to actually try to, you know, be more like Jesus. And he's looking at discipleship. And often this is a problem in the church. People look at discipleship without the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And they look at discipleship and go, that's impossible. And you're right. It is impossible unless the Holy Spirit is inside your life. Because when the Holy Spirit comes inside of your life, when you confess your your faith in Jesus and the Spirit of God actually converts your heart, a new nature. Here's, Here's kind of a big deal that maybe we undersell. You get a brand new nature. So there's things that appeal to you in your old habits and your old ways, but there's a whole new appetite that's got appeal in things that you didn't have an appetite for before. And discipleship is the process of killing this one and amplifying this one. Discipleship is the process of putting to death the stuff that is is going to kill me, putting to death the stuff that is rotting me, that's taking from me, that I've actually, you know, I've I've been in this whole world and I realize I feel empty and I, I feel spent and I feel used and there's, you know, there's a few highs in it, there's a few enjoyable moments in it, but if, at the end of the day, it's all escapism and I can't escape myself. But when I give my life to Jesus, there's a new nature in me. And I actually, if I pay attention to it, I have a love for him. I have a love for his word. I have a love for his people. I have a love for his presence. And that isn't what my old nature wants. But if whatever I feed, listen, what you feed will grow. Whatever you feed will grow. And whatever you starve will die. And this is the call of Jesus. You want to follow me? Take up your cross. Meaning what? That old way of living needs to be put to death daily. And a new way of living needs to be nurtured and fed. And here we've got a guy saying, I'll follow you, but I just need to, I just need to kind of, I just kind of need to really just kind of cry over all the good times I'm going to be missing. Like you just don't have any idea. Jesus, you don't know how cool I am. Like, you don't know how much people enjoy it when I'm at the party. You, you do not understand just what I am going to be missing out on and how people are going to be missing out on me. And I just, I just need to go back and just kiss it goodbye. And Jesus says, I want to read Jesus' words again. He says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. What comes into your mind when you think about Jesus is the most important thing about you. Jesus says there's some people who aren't fit for service in the kingdom of God. And if you don't like that thought, I, I don't know what to say. I know it's uncomfortable, but I think it's important that our thoughts about Jesus come from 
his word and not just, I don't know, Instagram theology. Just something I liked because somebody said it and it felt good. Some of the things that are right for you don't feel good. Some, of the, some, some truth that you need is uncomfortable truth. And Jesus says that anyone who sets his hand to the plow, and this is an agricultural image. This is talking about a farmer. You're talking, you know, first century farmer in the Middle East. So you're talking, you know, leather straps with, you know, a, a wooden instrument with a blade at the bottom attached to an animal. And you kind of whip the animal. And then you put your foot on that plow and you start going through a field. Jesus says anybody who puts his hand on the plow and looks back isn't fit for service. Meaning what? Meaning, you know, in our vernacular, you can't drive down the highway and stare at your rearview mirror and hope you don't get into an accident. You can't go forward looking backwards. Because back here is not telling you where you're going. It's telling you where you've been. And when you're focused on what you're giving up, you're missing out on what's ahead of you. Life in Jesus is a whole lot more than whatever it is that you're struggling to kiss goodbye. And the longer I look in the rearview mirror, the more I'm convinced that what's back there is worth more than what's ahead of me. But I've never actually taken a peek through the windshield of what the, the horizon of what Jesus is making available. You know, we looked at, at Peter's life a few weeks back. Peter was like one of these recruits, one of these volunteers, or the overplanner. He's, he's one, of these, one of these disciples, right, that, that Jesus calls. Peter's life, we talked about this. Peter's life before Jesus was, he was a fisherman. That's what he did. He caught fish. And at the time that Jesus called him, fishing wasn't going, going well. He fished all night, and he didn't catch anything. He's in a dry spell. Everyone in this room knows what that feels like. When it's just, you know, the, the idea for the paper won't come. You, you know, you just, you're not feeling productive at work. You can't focus. Nothing's actually firing. It's not working. He's, he's working, but it's not working. He's frustrated. Jesus shows up, preaches from his boat, and then he's, he says, thanks a lot, man. Why don't you just go out and try throwing your nets in the water? Try catching some fish. What, what are you doing? <laughs> Peter's like, I was fishing all night. <laughs> but because you say so, I'll try again. Throws the nets into the water, right? We looked at this. Throws the nets in the water. Catches so much fish. His friends have to come over. They throw their nets in the water. They catch so much fish, it almost sinks two boats. What's Jesus doing? He's giving Peter the fulfillment of the biggest dream that he had for his whole life in that moment. You want to be a fisherman? Here. How about you kill it right now and just be the best fisherman ever? Now what? And Peter has a decision to make. Do I want to stop at the pinnacle of my shallow dream and success, or do I want to leave this behind and follow him? What are you leaving behind, Peter? I'm leaving behind my whole life as I know it. I'm leaving, I, the only way I know how to have a grid for my life. You know, most people that come to church, most people that come to church sit in the same seat every week. Have you ever noticed that? They do. They sit in the same seat every week. Why? Because they want a grid for their future memories. Right? So they're, they're sitting in the same seat so that they, they just have the grid. This is how I experience church. This is where I take it in. And so as they come into church and someone's sitting there like, <coughs> excuse me, um, 
I don't know if you know this, but I always sit here. Maybe you could just um, shove down or go die in a hole somewhere. Why? Because I want to have a grid for how to predict what's going to happen. This is where I experience it from. And Jesus comes to Peter, and he comes to this recruit, to this volunteer, to this over-planner, and he says, can I just take your grid for a second? Just crushes it, tosses it. I don't have a grid for what life looks like with Jesus. I think we just need to be honest. We, we, we don't. You have a grid of what your family does, what, what, the, what the guidance counselor said you should do, what, what, the, what your career path as you're going through school, what that should look like, and the, the career that that should lead to, or in your career that you're in, how this is going to, you know, kind of curve and, and, and turn, and some ideas, and there's, there's some grid of a, a certain level of wealth that I want to experience, and at a, a point in my life where I get married and maybe have kids, or, you know, the kind of car I want to drive, we, we've got these grids, and Jesus just comes in, and he's like, hey, um, anybody have a lighter and just like torches it. Torches it. And so what do we have as our frame of reference? The seat I always sit in. The rear view mirror. And Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service. Why? Okay, go with the agricultural image. So if I'm, if I'm tethered to this animal in front of me and I've got my foot on the plow, hand on the plow here and I'm looking behind me and I'm like, see you later, Mama. I hope that you um, remember that I get hungry around 5 o'clock and um, tell Dad that I won't be home to see the game later. And you take a look and the line that gets furrowed isn't a line. It's a squiggly kindergarten drawing. You're not fit for the job. Why? Because if you're going to do the job right, you have to be locked in the zone. And you have to be focused. Most farmers will pick a point in the distance. They'll pick a tree or some obstacle that's stable in the distance, and they will lock their eyes on that. I ride motorcycle. When, when you ride motorcycle, you're not just looking off of you know, your front tire. If you are, you're in trouble. You're looking off into the distance. Why? Because that will help me automatically. If I'm watching the road well in advance of me, I will automatically adjust my throttle and my lean by how, by just by feel, because I will know there's a curve coming up there, so I need to let off the throttle here, and I need to pull on it as I come through here. Why? Because seeing in the distance helps me to adjust for the road. No one who sits on a motorcycle and rides like this is fit for the task. Why? Well, if I have to explain that to you, never get your motorcycle license. Okay? Jesus says to the over-planner, you're too focused on what you're giving up. And you're too, con too concerned about what you have to kiss goodbye. And you haven't conceived of what I'm putting in front of you. To be fit for service, I looked this up. To be fit for service means to be capable of meeting objectives, able to be able to perform duties effectively. Jesus says that if I'm looking back, I'm unfit. I'm, I'm not capable of actually doing 
what he's called me to do. There's a lot of poetic stuff that likes to get said around the church. Like, Jesus hasn't called you to be a human doing. He's called you to be a human being. Okay? Um, that's, in the Greek, that is um, dumb. <laughs> okay? Technically, someone in a coma is a human being. Jesus has called us to do, and he's called us to follow. He's called us to lay down our lives. And if we're focused on what we're giving up, we haven't stopped long enough to consider, what is he offering to me? Go back to Peter's example. What if Peter was just like, wow, thanks for the offer to follow you, but do you know how much fish I have right now? Then Peter is just some guy in the Bible who Jesus preached from his boat and the guy caught a lot of fish and was super successful for like a week. He's a guy who literally, without following Jesus, Peter is a fisherman with a great fish story. And what he left behind looked like success because it was. And what he left behind was the seat that he sits in at church every week. It was the grid from which he could anticipate his future memories. It was the grid of how he was expecting to experience the rest of his life. But when Jesus called him, it wasn't bring the fish. And this, this over-planning volunteer says, I will follow you, but anytime there's a but in your submission to Jesus, there's a problem. I will follow you, but first I just have to kiss goodbye. My, my, my way of living. Basically, Jesus is saying, kiss it goodbye right now. Go, go all in with me right now. And that basically is the call to count the cost. To count the cost as we follow Jesus. What is ahead of your life? in following after Jesus. We can learn from these ones who actually missed out. And what do, we, what do we learn? That just being sentimental actually doesn't weigh very much in Jesus' scales. Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. Really? Well, I don't have anywhere to stay tonight. Yeah, so I'll follow you like when you have a booking where there's like some hotel budget. Well, then you're, you're not following me wherever I go. And if you can be talked in, you can be talked out. The recruit. The, the recruit that says, I'll get around to this priority later, but there is an urgency in me right now. Jesus is like, never mind. Never mind. Like, you've got to, you've got to sort your priorities. Count the cost. The over-planner who says, I'll follow you, but... I'm just so focused on, on what I'm giving up. I'm, I'm convinced that what Jesus has for every person in this room tonight, I'm convinced of this, what Jesus has for every single person in this room tonight is greater than whatever you have dreamed and conceived for yourself to this moment. The plan of Jesus. And I don't mean like um, ease and fun and popularity. 
I mean significance. I mean a life that actually counts, not just in terms of like the temporary scales by which we weigh life right now. Like the things that matter so much in this culture, fame. How many followers do you have? How, whatever platform you're on. How many followers do you have? How much influence does that give you? How many likes do you get? How much money do you have or can you accrue with your life? There's other things that kind of factor in there, but hubbing around fame, influence, popularity, and money, a lot of other things come, come in and around that. But it all kind of hubs around there. Do you know, in eternity, that stuff doesn't weigh a feather. And so if I'm looking in the rear view, looking at what I'm giving up, oh man, I think I'm giving up so much. And yet what Jesus in his mercy is trying to do is trying to get me to think from an eternal perspective. You know, the book of James says that this life is like a vapor. It's like steam. It evaporates. It's passing really quick. But eternity, eternity isn't just a really long time. Eternity is timelessness. It's outside of time. And eternity, when we give our lives to Jesus, He actually removes us from death to life. Like we're, we're born into sin with a sinful nature, with a predisposition to disobey God. And God's just not like, well, you know, you did your best. Actually, he's holy and he judges sin. Now, again, that's what the Bible says. And so the reality is, is that on my own, I deserve an eternity separated from God in the torment of hell. That's my fate outside of Jesus because I can't please God in my own righteousness. I'm, I'm filthy before a holy God in my own best efforts. And if I break the law of God, the moral law of God, and go against his covenant, what happens is I'm in that condition. It's, it's distorted me and I can't fix it. So Jesus comes and interrupts that path and puts mercy on me when I repent, when I say, Lord, I, I'm sorry for my sin and I don't want to live that way anymore. Not just save me so that I can keep doing it, but save me and then change me. And what's the change? He brings me to the end of my fishing business. He brings me to the end of my grid of looking at what life could be in fame, Money, popularity, influence, money, stuff, things. And there's a whole life that actually opens up where I can actually find significance in knowing God by experience. And actually praying and communing with the God of the universe. And discovering that his love for me is actually not just for me. He loves this whole world. And I can actually be brought into a purpose 
that's greater than just like Peter fishing for fish. I could actually find purpose in seeing other people come into a relationship with the living God. And whatever I do with my life, how I make money, how I make memories, how I build a family, when it's all built on the foundation of Jesus, suddenly what's opened up before me is a life that actually has God's favor on it. And every person in this room needs the favor of God. I want you to close your eyes. We're going to pray. The call of Jesus over every person in this room, the call is now. It's not later. It's not, I'll get serious later. It's a call to now surrender my whole life to Him. You know, God is so good. He takes people that yield to Him and He cleanses them, changes them, puts a new nature in and rebuilds. You know, God's so good that your worst mistake, the worst thing you've done, the worst thing that's been done to you, He can cleanse that off of your life as if it never happened. And He could release us into a purpose and a destiny that is beyond anything we could accomplish in and of ourselves. Tonight we have the opportunity to surrender and yield. We can learn from the example of these ones who sentimentally just said, I'll follow you everywhere, but he didn't really mean it. Who was recruited and heard the call of Jesus, but just had a delayed response. I'll get around to it later. And the final guy who says, I'll follow you, but I just, I still just kind of have to have one foot in my way and one foot in your way. Tonight we have the opportunity to yield our entire life, our entire will, our entire future. I want you to stand to your feet tonight. Keep your eyes closed if you would, just to shut out distraction and just zero in on what God would be saying to your heart. The future that is ahead of you, you've not stepped into before. You don't know what is into in tomorrow. But through faith in Jesus, you can know who holds tomorrow. You can know the one who knows the end from the beginning. And the one who made you knows the perfect design for you and for your life. And yieldedness to him now is setting aside every other pursuit and going all in on Him. Now, it's counting the cost and saying, Lord, I don't fully know what my future will look like, but I'm going to give you my whole life and I'm going to trust you with my future starting now. And every step from here, I just want it to be fully obedient to you. I don't want to be halfway I don't want to just be a little bit in. I don't, want to, I don't want to just kind of be thinking about what I'm giving up or a delayed response. I'll get more serious later. 
there is an urgent call from the Spirit. This generation, your generation, doesn't need you to get serious five years from now. They need some young adults who are on fire for God right now. Some, some people who know their purpose in God and are living at God's standard and God's way now because you've yielded your life completely and you've said, Lord, I want you to use me. And so tonight, if that's what's in your heart, saying, God, all over again, this isn't a salvation appeal. If you need to get saved, let's talk about that after. But this, for every person in the room, it's like, it's like the opportunity to remind ourselves of the commitment that we're following in and to recommit. And, and I believe there's a grace tonight to commit at a level of sincerity, to count the cost and say, Lord, I'm all in and the urgency has gripped me. Use my whole life starting now. If that's what's in your heart, I want you to step up from where you are and I want you to come to this altar. And I want you to pledge that full-hearted obedience to the Lord. Lord, take my whole life now. Take it now. I'm not going to get serious later. I'm serious now. I want you to take my whole life and I want you to begin to paint a picture in my mind. Like he said to Peter, I'm going to make you fishers of men. I don't know what that means, but I know it's different than what I've been doing up till now. Father, I pray tonight over every young adult responding to your voice and to your word tonight. Father, we want to learn how to follow well. We don't want to just be sentimental. We don't want to be delayed in our urgency. And we don't want to be focused on what we're giving up. So tonight I'm asking that you would pour your grace on us. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would tonight meet us here as we seek you, as we pray, as we pour our hearts out to you. Lord, your word says that in these days you're giving vision to young men and young women. And I'm asking for a prophetic release of that anointed imagination of what life will look like fully yielded to Jesus. And I pray, God, that our yes tonight would ripple into the future, ripple into the generations not yet born, and ripple into the spheres. I pray that each young adult here tonight, Lord, like pebbles in the water, the ripples of their influence, Lord, would have the touch of Jesus on it in our schools, in our workplaces, in our families, in every realm of relationship. Take our whole life, God. We yield it to you tonight. Come on, let's seek the Lord together. Thanks for listening to the Lake Mount Young Adults Podcast. For more information, please visit us at lakemount.ca or follow us on Instagram at lakemountya. Have an amazing week and we hope to see you soon.